As we prepare to hear our scripture today, we continue to hear the story of the infant Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, last Sunday, we heard the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would uh, be the mother of Jesus, and we heard Mary respond with her wonderful Magnificat. Then on Christmas Eve, we heard the story of the birth of Jesus as told by Luke, complete with the stables and the angels and the shepherds. And now we continue right where that story left off, which in Luke is when Jesus is eight days old and his parents, Mary and Joseph, as faithful Jews, bring him to the temple in Jerusalem where he is to be circumcised and dedicated to God. As we'll hear in our story this morning, when they arrive in the courts of the temple, there are two elder prophets, Simeon and Anna, who make a beeline for Jesus right away. Because in their wisdom, they perceive that as they see this child, they are looking at the face of God. So let us listen for the word of God. Our scripture today is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested in him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came unto the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Messiah, Master, you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And the sword will pierce your own soul too. There also was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phenu, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then a widow till the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there 
with fasting and praise, night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. In our scripture this morning, we hear about two elders, Simeon and Anna, who are steeped in faith and who because of their wisdom and faithfulness are able to perceive something special about Jesus. When the bleary-eyed Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple courts to dedicate their child, Simeon and Anna are filled with the Spirit and they come rushing over. Somehow they can tell that this baby is the Messiah, that God's love and light and mercy and justice are in him. And they begin to pronounce blessings and prophecies. It's as if they are tuned into a different frequency where they can perceive God at work in the world and they help Mary and Joseph understand this wonder in their midst. Well, I want to draw on this story for us today in a slightly different way. I want to share with you words from one of my spiritual elders and mentors, someone who has taught me and many of us how to perceive God at work in the world around us. A Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest. She's a retired college professor and a wonderful storyteller. Uh, she was one of my priests as a child growing up in my home church, All Saints Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And Barbara is one of the reasons that I'm in ministry today. She's an incredible preacher. She has all kinds of awards to prove it. She has published many books, books of sermons, but also books about finding God in everyday life, finding God in the darkness, finding God in other faiths. And all the accolades and accomplishments aside, she's just an incredibly wise and perceptive person. And I turn to her writings whenever I need balm for my soul or inspiration for my spirit, or just when I want to know where God is at work in the world. And so today, I want to share with you one of Barbara's Christmas sermons. It's called God's Daring Plan. It comes from her book, Bread of Angels, published in 1997. And in it, she shares a wonderful parable, a midrash, a story about why God decided to come in the form of a baby. And so um, I share this uh, with you today. She is uh, writing this sermon based off of Luke 2, 8 to 9, which we heard on Christmas Eve, which says, In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. So hear these words from Barbara Brown Taylor. Once upon a time, or before time actually, before there were clocks or calendars or Christmas trees, God was all there was. No one knows anything about this time because no one was there to know it. But somewhere in the middle of that time before time, God decided to make a world. 
Maybe God was bored or maybe God was lonely or maybe God just liked to make things and thought it was time to try something big. Whatever the reason, God made a world, this world, and filled it with the most astonishing things. With humpback whales that sing and white striped skunks that stink and birds with more colors on them than a box of Crayola crayons. The list is way too long to go into here, but suffice it to say that at the end, when God stood back and looked at it all, God was pleased. Only something was missing. God could not think what it was at first, but slowly it dawned on God. Everything God had made was interesting and gorgeous, and it all fit together really well. Only there was nothing in the world that looked like God, exactly. It was as if God had painted this huge masterpiece and then forgotten to sign it. So God got busy making God's signature piece, something made in God's own image, so that anyone who looked at it would know who the artist was. God had one single thing in mind at first, but as God worked, God realized that one thing all by itself was not the kind of statement that God wanted to make. God knew what it was like to be alone. And now that God had made a world, God knew what it was like to have company, and company was definitely better. So God decided to make two things instead of one, which were alike but different, and both would be reflections of God. A man and a woman who could keep God and each other company. Flesh was what God made them out of, flesh and blood, a wonderful medium, extremely flexible and warm to the touch. Since God, strictly speaking, was not made out of anything at all, but was pure mind, pure spirit, God was very taken with flesh and blood. Watching these two creatures stretch and yawn, laugh and run, God found to God's surprise that God was more than a little envious of them. God had made them, it was true. But God knew how fragile they were. But their breakability made them more touching to God somehow. It was not long before God found God's self falling in love with them. God liked being with them better than any of the other creatures God had made. And God especially liked walking with them in the garden in the cool of an evening. It almost broke God's heart when they got together behind God's back, did the one thing God had asked them not to do, and then hid from God, from God, while God searched the garden until way past dark, calling their names over and over again. Things were different after that. God still loved the human creatures best of all, but the attraction was not mutual. Birds were crazy about God, especially ruby-throated hummingbirds. Dolphins and raccoons could not get enough of God. But human beings had other things on their minds. They were busy learning how to make things grow, buy things, sell things, and the more they learned to do for themselves, the less they depended on God. Night after night, God threw pebbles at their windows, inviting them to go for a walk with God. But they said they were sorry. They were busy. It was not long before most human beings forgot all about God. 
They call themselves self-made men and women as if that were a plus and not a minus. They honestly believe they had created themselves and they liked the results so much that they divided themselves into groups of people who looked, thought, and talked alike. Those who still believed in God drew pictures of God that looked just like them. And that made it easier for them to turn away from the people who were different. You would not believe the trouble this got them into. Everything from armed warfare to cities split right down the middle, with one kind of people living on that side and one kind on another. God would have put a stop to it all right there, except for one thing. When God had made human beings, God had made them free. That was built into them, just like their hearts and their brains were, and even God could not take it back without killing them. So God left them free, and it almost killed God to see what they were doing to each other. God shouted to them from the sidelines using every means God could think of, including floods and famines, messengers and manna. God got inside people's dreams, and if that didn't work, God woke them up in the middle of the night with God's whispering. No matter what God tried, however, God came up against the barriers of flesh and blood. They were made out of it, and God was not, which made translation difficult. God would say, please stop before you destroy yourselves. But all they could hear was thunder. God would say, I love you as much now as the day I made you. But all they could hear was a loon calling across the water. Babies were the exception to this sad state of affairs. While their parents were all but deaf to God's messages, babies did not have any trouble hearing God at all. They were all the time laughing at God's jokes or crying with God when God cried, which went right over their parents' heads. Colic, the grown-ups would say. Or isn't she cute? She's laughing at the dust mites in the sunlight. Only she wasn't, of course. She was laughing because God had just told her it was cleaning day in heaven and that when she, what she saw were fallen stars the angels were shaking from their feather dusters. Babies did not go to war. They never made hate speeches or littered or refused to play with each other because they belonged to different political parties. They depended on other people for everything necessary to their lives. And a phrase like self-made babies would have made them laugh until their bellies hurt. While no one asked their opinions about anything that mattered, which would have been a smart thing to do, almost everyone seemed to love them. And that gave God an idea. Why not create God's self as one of these delightful creatures? God tried the idea out on his cabinet of archangels, and at first they were all very quiet. Finally, the senior archangel stepped forward to speak for all of them. He told God how much they would worry about God if God did that. God would be putting God's self at the mercy of God's creatures, and if God seriously meant to become one of them, there would be no escape for God if things turned sour. 
Could God at least create God's self as a magical baby with special powers? It would not take much. Just the power to become invisible, maybe, or the power to hurl bolts of lightning if the need arose. The baby idea was a stroke of genius, the angel said. It really was, but it lacked adequate safety features. God thanked the archangels for their concern, but said no. God thought God would just be a regular baby. How else could God gain the trust of God's creatures? How else could God persuade them that God knew their lives inside and out, unless God lived one like theirs? There was a risk. God knew that. Okay, there was a high risk, but that was part of what God wanted God's creatures to know. That God was willing to risk everything to get close to them in hopes that they might love God again. It was a daring plan. But once the angels saw that God was dead set on it, they broke into applause. Not the uproarious kind, but the steady kind that goes on and on when you have witnessed something that you know you will never see again. While they were still clapping, God turned around and left the cabinet chamber, shedding God's robe as God went. The angels watched as God's midnight blue mantle fell to the floor so that all the stars on it collapsed in a heap. Then a strange thing happened. Where the robes had fallen, the floor melted and opened up to reveal a scrubby brown pasture speckled with sheep and, right in the middle of them, a bunch of shepherds sitting around a campfire drinking wine out of a skin. It was hard to say who was more startled, the shepherds or the angels. But as the shepherds looked up at them, the angels pushed their senior member to the edge of the hole. Looking down at the human beings who were all trying to hide behind each other, poor things, no wings, the angel said in as gentle a voice as he could muster, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And away up the hill, from the direction of town, came the sound of a newborn baby's cry. Amen. Friends, may we hear the sound of God. May we see God in the babies and in the world around us. Amen.